HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, I'm Kathy Array, the host of Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. This summer, I'm taking a little break and having co-hosts Talia Ralph and Brianna Kurtz host several episodes. I'll see you back in the fall. Welcome to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host today, Brianna Kurtz, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today, I'm delighted to have Lee Schreger, author of Fried and True, More Than 50 Recipes for America's Best Fried Chicken and Sides, on the line, and his co-author, Adina Sussman, here in the studio. Lee is the founder of Food Network's New York City Wine and Food Festival and the South Beach Wine and Food Festival, among many other things. And Adina is a cookbook author, recipe developer, food travel, and a food travel writer. Welcome to you both. Hi, great uh, to be welcome. here. Welcome, and I sure hope Adina is not eating my slice of pizza since I'm calling in and she's there. <laughs> I'm not telling. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. I know it that she's grabbing my pie that I had pre-ordered. So, uh, but if it had to be somebody to give up a Roberta's pizza, I'm glad it's my dear Adina. Hi, Lee. Hi, Adina. And hello. Nice to be on your radio show. Welcome. So you two, um, you could have written a cookbook about anything, pies or pork or pancakes. So why fried chicken? Well, I, I, I guess I can take that one, and I could tell you that uh, I had an early love of fried chicken, early memories growing up of fried chicken, like we mentioned in the book um, uh, on Saturday night when my parents had date night, having the Chicken Delight truck come and deliver the Don't Eat Tonight called Chicken Delight Fried Chicken, and then being uh, falling in love with the all-you-can-eat fried chicken night at Howard Johnson's that we later learned was um, the recipe from Jacques Pepin, which is actually in Fried and True. So it seemed a natural fit for me to do something with fried chicken, and I couldn't have been more excited when I found out that Adina shared, if not an exact passion, a similar passion towards <laughs> the bird. 
That is true. Obviously, my um, background is as much in cooking as in writing. And fried chicken was something that I hadn't really explored on a macro (laughs) and micro level. So I was really excited to take on the challenge. And Lee and I met when I worked on the food styling for his first book five years ago. And I remember hearing him talk about his love for fried chicken then. So it wasn't a total surprise when he called me and asked me to work on the book with him. But it was a fortuitous pairing in all ways so far. And who doesn't love fried chicken? It's right up there with burger, with pizza, with taco. I mean, if you look at the New York City and South Beach wine festivals, our events that have been most popular for us have been exactly those events. And, you know, as is fried chicken now with the chicken coop event that we host in New York each year with Whoopi Goldberg hosting. So, um, you know, we, we've done well with uh, single food um, events, and we hope to do as well with a single food uh, subject book. Well, and that kind of leads me into my next question. Can you tell me, and you go into this in the book in the introduction a little bit, about the history of fried chicken and how it did become to be so loved? You know, I think it's interesting when Adina um, had done so much of the research and so much of the, really, the the nuts and bolts of the book, and I remember chatting with Adina and finding out that although probably all of us think that fried chicken came from the South, it actually, um, I think the earliest uh, on record showed that it actually came from Scotland and made its way to the South. And I think that was news to me, and I think even news to Adina when she found that out, and I think clearly... You know, once it got to the South, it's uh, become a staple of the comfort food diet. But I I think that uh, that was probably one of the most interesting things I found in working in this book with Adina was where it started. Yeah, I think what's interesting, like many other sort of comfort foods that are having their revival and their due, they have a great American history. And it was sort of the, the intersection of the Scottish tradition, which came over with Scotch immigrants with African slaves who actually brought the recipes over with them from Africa and began cooking them for their masters and then also on their own to make extra money on the side. And then when they were freed, they created these businesses to sell fried chicken. And that's sort of where the Southern American tradition of fried chicken really took hold. Um, So seeing where those two traditions intersected, the fact that it wasn't a completely foreign food yet in America, but the way that the African community really brought it into its own and actually created the, the respect for it, um, in this country was what was really interesting. And you single out a couple um, fried chicken hotspots across the U.S., New Orleans, Atlanta, and Nashville. And I was wondering if you could illuminate any regional differences that you see across the, the landscape in the country. Lee, do you want me to you take know, this it's funny. I, it. You know, and Adina can probably answer better because, you know, she did a lot of the research. You know, what I have found and what, what I say is that, you know, ultimately it's the same ingredients for the most part. You start with chicken, you have, you know, oil, there's a dredge, there's a brine if you're brining. I think what I found by being on the road with Adina last summer and hitting up so many great fried chicken restaurants is that, a, the same recipe, you know, you can have a fried chicken recipe, a simple fried chicken recipe, and just by changing the seasoning and by changing the oil that you fry it in can make a similar recipe so different. Adina, do you agree with that? I absolutely agree. I, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, cooking is like computer coding. One difference can make a, com- a complete change in the finished product, you know, one one small change in the code. And you think of a recipe like a code, it could be the type of flour that's used in the dredge or the oil. For instance, we chose those cities for very particular reasons. We chose New Orleans, obviously, because of the wonderful traditions of 
Dookie Chase and Willie Mae Scotch House. And we really wanted to um, pay homage to those wonderful female cooks from New Orleans um, and also the revival of the restaurant scene post uh, Hurricane Katrina. We chose Nashville um, because of hot chicken. And, you know, hot chicken is something that really is gaining a lot of awareness and popularity in the States. Carla Hall, one of the hosts of The Chew, um, is opening a hot chicken restaurant in New York, and there are already several. Um, we were lucky enough to get a hot chicken recipe made for us by one of the upstart restaurants, Hattie Bee's, which is a fantastic recipe that's really easy to uh, make. But I think one of the interesting things, for instance, like in New Orleans, pretty much every chef recommended using chilled chicken. So, that, you know, how did that start? Why, why was that? We're not quite sure, but the use of chilled chicken um, ensures, they believe, a crisper skin and um, a that render all the fat from the skin. So there are different traditions in every city that are clearly passed down from from one cook to the next and generation to generation. But yes, we definitely found a lot of regional differences around the country. And you talk about all those kind of cultural staples, Hattie B's and, and mm-hmm. hot chicken. Um, and fried chicken definitely is a comfort food. Um, you talk about it as like a Sunday night dinner dish, as you say in the book. But at the same time, you have some big hitters in the book. You've got oh, yeah. Thomas Keller, Michelle Bernstein, Jacques Pepin, and a lot of other names. I could go on and on sharing those recipes. Um, but what does that say about fried chicken? And, and how did you bring those chefs into the fold for the book? Well, I, I think what we learned is whether it's a white tablecloth restaurant like Ad Hoc in Napa Valley, Thomas Keller's Restaurant, or Ty, um, Tyler Florence's Wayfair Tavern in San Francisco, um, I, I think that whether it's a white tablecloth Michelin-rated restaurant or a mom-and-pop restaurant on the side of the street or even a great fried chicken in the back of a gas station that you know we found some along the tra- travels, is that everybody loves fried chicken. It's like that ultimate guilty pleasure food, and everybody has their own take on fried chicken, and certainly everybody has a story. And, you know, I I often say that when Adina put together this great hit list when we were traveling last summer, I think if you look at that list at where we started and where we ended, you see that it's quite different. Every venue that we stopped in, every restaurant, every chef that we met along the way had a story that that they shared with us. So we could be eating at Kermit's in New Orleans, one of our first stops, and he was making this fried chicken, but told us a story about how he learned to make it or the restaurant that he worked along the way. Or uh, we'd be eating at Mary Max in Atlanta, and the waitress would tell us about a great fried chicken down on the street. So everybody has a story. Yeah. Everybody has a favorite fried chicken. And clearly today, you know, like burger, pizza, and taco, you know, those great comfort foods, fried chicken is having its, having its day. And I think that, uh, you know, Adina did such a great job of putting together that list. And it's almost funny if you look at where we started and where we ended. Mm-hmm. Adina, do you, do you think that's uh, appropriate or correct? I do. I think um, this is where the intersection of Lee's experience with food festivals and his interaction with a lot of these top chefs, um, you know, meet, for instance, Gavin Kaysen from Cafe Belude. He's he's leaving soon, but he tells a wonderful story that he created his fried chicken recipe for the sort of Upper East Side contingent for those who he rewards those who stick around for the summer as opposed to going to the Hamptons. So nice. um, <laughs> he created this dish for them and he said that nothing gives him more pleasure than watching these sort of ladies with the perfect manicures tearing the chicken apart with their fingers and drinking it with $300 bottles of Chablis. Well, they're going to have to follow him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> going back to Minneapolis. But I do think that like, you know, there's a high low 
sort of uh, appeal to fried chicken. And, you know, the, the common denominator is just a great quality product. And everyone really likes to show off and flaunt their sort of food hacks that make their recipe different and unique. So that's whether you are a Thomas Keller or a hole in the wall. That's sort of, I'd say, what unifies all the recipes. And I, th- and I think it, this is a question for Adina. When you were putting the recipes mm-hmm. together, did you work with the chefs or did you have to do some tweaking to make it more like easier for home in recipes? S- in some cases, um, we did some streamlining of the recipes. Let's say um, last summer when I tested hundreds of recipes in the hottest summer on New York City record. I think my mind is a little bit foggy about some of the details. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, we definitely did a little bit of streamlining. Um, a lot of, you know, the recipes call for long brining periods, for instance. A couple of them actually initially called for sous viding um, at, at certain points in the recipe. And obviously, we took that out for home cooks. Most of the recipes worked really well. Um, in some cases, we just took out really obscure ingredients. But in some cases, we left them in because they really were what made the recipes unique. For instance, there's a great recipe from Seattle from a place called Maono's Fried Chicken and Whiskey. Uh, Mark Fuller is a former food and wine best new chef. And he grew up visiting his grandmother in Kauai. And on their hikes, she would open these beautiful baskets of fried chicken. And her chicken was made with something called Johnny's Seasoning Mix. And Johnny's Seasoning Mix contains uh, soy sauce powder. So Mark sourced soy sauce powder, which is something that you can find online at Firehouse Pantry. And he puts that both in the merit brine for his chicken and also in the dredge and also in this incredible umami packed uh, seasoning shake that has kombu and bonito and dried shiitakes and the soy sauce powder. So, you know, sort of we left we left that in there because it's what makes it unique. But usually try and give a suggestion for how people can do it if they can't find it. Well, in addition to all the delicious chicken recipes, you guys do have a number of side dishes. And do you really think the sides help to complete the experience? Um, usually there's... Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to say oh Mr. God, Schrager I mean, the is... are some of my favorite. I, I have to say that I love every chicken recipe, and people always want to know which is my favorite, and I'm sure Adina gets asked that as often. But the sides, you know, like that t- wonderful tomato pie or the hash brown casserole or the creed of the stony grits and the biscuits, I, I will tell you that... I think that I've never made a chicken at home, and I cooked something last night. I was practicing something last night, and I said, oh, I don't need to do a side. And you know what? I got halfway through the chicken and said, of course, I'm going to do the sides with it. So I think that the sides really enrich the overall dining experience. They do. I mean, if you look at the classic Southern tradition, these dishes are typically served with coleslaw, potato salad, mac and cheese, collard greens, candied yams. And, you know, we have... individual recipes for most of those things in the book. Um, Some of them, obviously, again, like our collard green recipe comes from Khalil Arnold at Arnold's Country Kitchen in Nashville. And he, you know, he's the second generation chef and he has added wasabi powder to his um, because he feels like it really kicks them up a notch. Um, But some of them are very traditional, like the candied yams from Charles Gabriel's wonderful Charles's country pan fried chicken up in Harlem. Of course, Two of our favorite, favorite recipes are these casseroles that are made with, you know, mostly shelf-stable ingredients from the A&P, cream of chicken soup, uh, crushed Ritz crackers, canned tomatoes, cheddar cheese, mayonnaise. There's a tomato pie from Mary Mac's Tea Room. I mean, it's hard to find a person who does not love that thing. And we're actually having an event tomorrow, and I'm personally making it myself as one of the dishes that we're doing because it's just so fantastic. But oh then my again, God, there I'm are so some. I'm so glad that you're making it. I am craving. <laughs> I am craving that tomato pie. Oh, it's wonderful. Well, your guests are very lucky. <laughs> 
We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Lena Dina about this behind the scenes of the book. Stay with us. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Eat Your Words. I'm Brianna Kurtz here with Lee Schrager and Adina Sussman talking about their new book, Fried and True. So I think fried chicken seems pretty simple on the surface. Mm -hmm. Fried chicken. Mm -hmm. But I actually think it's kind of intimidating um, because it's easy to mess up. um, But I think you do an excellent job in the book with Fried Chicken 101. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you could both talk a little bit about why you included that. I just think the tools that you set up at the beginning of the book really can be used to carry through to any of the recipes. And I just think it's a great resource for for home cooks. Sure. Lee, do you want to talk about that for a minute? No, I think you should take this one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You know, anything technical should go to Adina. (laughs) Um, We wanted to do that sort of simple guide Mm -hmm. because we heard from many people in the process of writing the book that making fried chicken intimidated them. And in doing a lot of frying in my culinary work, I'm aware that it's actually not that difficult. It's just like anything. It's like knife skills or um, marinating. There's a way to do something properly or making a salad dressing. And if you know the proper techniques, then you feel a lot more freedom in the process. So we wanted to really give people the basics and also let people know that it's not an exact science. You know, you can, you can swap in different oils. You just want to make sure to keep certain things in mind, like making sure to maintain a proper frying temperature so that the chicken doesn't get soggy, making sure to keep a little pot behind the large pot of oil in case the level of oil goes up too high. So you can ladle a little bit out and you don't have a spillover and any kind of a flame up things that I actually learned in the process of writing the book that I found really helpful and useful. And one that I know Lee uses now, for instance, that, you know, Andrew Carmelini down at the Dutch um, uses for his fried chicken is he always keeps a small pot of cinnamon sticks and star anise and other warm, savory spices on the stoves bubbling at all times because it literally absorbs that fried odor. And when you're done making the chicken, you're not going to be left with that, especially in a small New York City apartment, for instance, with the smell of frying clinging to your winter wool, wool and winter coat for three months at a time. But and that what, really works, Adina. I don't know. I don't know if you've done it, but I, I do it all the time. Never make chicken at home without yeah. having a small bowl of boiling water with either cinnamon, cloves, yep. or uh, vanilla going, and it really removes that kind of odor that people really don't like when they associate with frying. Yeah, and we, you know, we gave people a guide to different oils and explained to them the different impacts that those oils have. For instance, one of the finds that I really enjoyed in the book was corn oil. 
Uh, it's not commonly used in frying, but the finished product yields something that tastes like butter popcorn, which I find so <laughs> delicious. Peanut oil is obviously very popular in the South, and the chicken is a deeper burnished color and is very crispy. Crisco, um, we're not weighing in on its uh, you know, validity as a product. We're just here to provide information. And it's still used in some of the best uh, Southern recipes, and it, it really gets the job done and provides a really light and flaky texture. So just giving people all the information, I think, emancipates them to fry with freedom. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, as you may know, one of um, Heritage's, Heritage Radio's content focuses of the year is um, the chicken industry. Mm-hmm. So I'd be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity sure. to ask you some questions about that. Um, and I want to set up my question like this. We farm approximately 9 billion animals in this country, mm-hmm. and 8.6 billion of them are chicken. So yeah. there's more chickens slaughtered in this country each year than the entire population of the sure. world. So do you have any thoughts about chickens that come from industrial farms versus small farmers or heritage chicken breeds? And is that a topic that came up on your travels and research when chefs were using sourcing? It did come up. Um, you know, it's something that and a lot of chefs have an opinion on that as well, interestingly enough. We're, we're well aware of the issues with chicken production in this country. Um, we worked with Bell & Evans um, they provided us with some product and um, helped us. I mean, we're aware that they're at this point a large producer themselves. Mm-hmm. Many of the chefs, you know, themselves recommended picking up chicken at a farmer's market on Friday morning. And we discuss that in the book as well, especially if you're looking for a smaller bird. It's hard to find a chicken in the supermarket that is under three pounds because of the way the chicken is manufactured these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we wanted to make the book something that was readily available to all consumers, but also to address the fact that there are proper and better ways to handle and process chicken. We don't really take a political stance in the book, but we are aware of the issues. Yeah. Lee, do you have any thoughts about that? No, I, I, like Adina said, and it certainly came up more than I expected. Um, I think more with chefs who have multiple restaurants or some of the bigger name chefs are included in the book and I think you know we did a uh, we tried you know very hard to make it not all celebrity chef or fine dining chefs you know a great mix along the way but I was actually surprised at how many times in one day you know being on the road that the subject of farming chickens did come up what are your thoughts on wings <laughs> on, on wings? wings wings I mean they're everywhere I feel like that's the way most people eat chicken maybe nowadays or um, I mean they're just it's not funny I disagree I don't like I would never order I mean other than going to a baseball football game which as you know Adina knows I never do I mean <laughs> I, 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 I never eat wings and I certainly like them but I just don't eat them. And, uh, you know, we have a few great wing recipes mm-hmm. in the book, including, you know, Dale Tade's uh, Kung Pao wings. But, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I, that's not come up. I don't know that wings are any more popular than any other part of the chicken, except maybe during football season. Um, I, I like wings. I like wings that are really crispy um, and delicious. And all the recipes that we have in the book are actually deep fried. There are actually ways to bake oven bake wings and make them really healthy those recipes didn't make it into our book um but um when you say our opinion about wings do you mean from a culinary perspective or sort of as a trend as a trend i think more i just feel like Um, they're they've grown wildly in the last couple years in popularity and it's just kind of a removal from like the traditional 
kind of uh, family yeah. and whole chicken. I mean, obviously, I think one of the reasons that wings are popular is that they're a byproduct of the increase in the manufacture of chicken. You know, people typically want light meat and dark meat, larger cuts, and there are a lot of leftover wings. So people have found all kinds of ways to, and they're also inexpensive relative to other cuts, which would explain another reason why they're popular, you know, so I think... Those are those are a couple of reasons, and I highly recommend Dale's recipe, which is super savory and delicious, and has a lot of incredible Pan Asian ingredients in it. And that's a perfect segue to kind of the next question. Um, you do have some non traditional recipes in here. Sure. Dale's a perfect example. Um, you also have a great recipe from Alex Raj, her um, Milanese mm. de pollo. Yes, and the. Um, you have a vegetarian option too for people who we do from, from right here in Brooklyn. And gluten free, and yes. gluten free. Is that right. the vegetarian? Well, that yeah. Maybe, I'm sorry. No, no. Those are two separate. The gluten free is from Ina's. We, we have. Uh, 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 I think is it Ina Pinky's? Uh, Ina Pinky. Uh, yeah. Gluten free. We do, um, and we have. You know, Sweet Chick make in here in Williamsburg makes a great traditional fried chicken, but they were finding that they had an increased number of patrons who were looking for a vegetarian option so they created a chicken that used seitan as the protein um it's quite delicious i think in this case the breading and the quality of the breading um and buttermilk uh technique are important in the finished product um but yeah there are there are there are people making all kinds of fried chicken in this country these days adina do you have a favorite i don't know if i've ever asked you i mean everyone asks me do i have a favorite recipe and i don't know that there's a single favorite but i think when you look at all the recipes that we gathered and some of the you know ones that are a little more unique to the book or to you know fried chicken yeah. lovers i mean for me it's asha gomez's chicken you know it's one of my favorite recipes of all time let alone fried chicken what's your favorite um, I, for sort of sentimental reasons, I really love the, uh, chicken biscuit sandwich from the biscuit love truck in Nashville. Um, I became good friends with Carl and Sarah Worley in the process of writing this book. And they are a wonderful couple who really are interested in traditional Southern food ways. And they're inspired by the hot chicken trend. They do both a hot chicken, um, sandwich with an incredible, incredible biscuit, which is whose recipe is in the book. Um, and they also do one with a sausage gravy that has sage in it. That is the one that we have in the book. It's just yeah. absolutely amazing. And they're just the most wonderful people. And I'd say that my opinion about the recipes is colored by the fantastic people that I met in writing this book. And I think Lee feels the same way. So when I say I love a recipe, I typically love the people who are behind it as well. And in that case, um, I only have wonderful things to say about Carl and Sarah and their incredible sandwich. So that would be a favorite for me. And who doesn't love a good biscuit? And I just saw last night that Laurent Gras, a fantastic chef in New York, um, his partner uh, tweeted that he tried our biscuit from the book and that it was the best biscuit that he ever made. So I was really pleased to see that because as the person who tests the recipes, once the book starts coming out, that's when the rubber really hits the road mm-hmm. as far as the recipes go. <laughs> Excellent. God, I'm so hungry listening to I know. Please <laughs> again tell me you're not eating fabulous Roberta's pizza, Adina. <laughs> not yet, but in a few minutes. <laughs> Well, and I think that really comes through in the book. Um, you definitely give a lot of space to the stories mm-hmm. and the wonderful photography. So you, the stories are connected with faces and yes. and names, of course. And a lot of them are very um, well known and they're spread all, all around the country. Yep. So you really get 
to spend some time with them. Yes, and we would be remiss in not mentioning our incredible photographer, Evan Sung, um, who is one of New York's top food photographers. And his interests in food and culture really reflect on the pages of this book. And we're, the three of us are going to be doing another book together. So very well, excited about that. That was my next that. question. Um, Adina, you said you were working on a couple other projects. Do you want to talk about those a little bit? Um, I can't, all of them are sort of in the contractual phase, so I can't talk about them, but I'm hoping to be doing something related to Israeli cuisine and Lee and I will be doing another book and it's up to Lee whether he wants to divulge the subject. I think that, uh, <laughs> maybe we should wait. Say everyone's morning should start with a good one. <laughs> Okay, we'll leave that inside joke. Um, uh, we'll leave that to your own interpretation. Yes. I can think of a few things, but uh, with the dean on the phone, I won't embarrass her. Yes. Well, and Lee, um, besides literally writing the book on fried chicken, you also have the, the chicken coop event. Is that right? We do. We started in New York City, one in Foods Festival, the Chicken Coop event three years ago that Whoopi Goldberg hosts for us. And this year we'll be on October 16th at the Boathouse in Central Park. And we have more chefs than we've ever had participating, including a bunch of great donut chefs. So we are expanding from fried chicken into donuts. Um, I feel and like the you folks just from the Dead away. Rabbit down on Wall Street, one of the uh, number one bar, I think the number one cocktail bar uh, in the city and one of the top ten in the world, will be making all the cocktails that evening so yeah. fried chicken donuts dead rabbit cocktails and some um uh, great music that evening with Whoopi goldberg should be an amazing event and the donuts are a bit of a nod to michael salamanov and what he's doing at federal donuts in philly where he both makes great fried chicken and incredible donuts and i should add you know the trend is not one that's evading um sarah simmons who the owner and founder of city grit which is sort of the younger, hipper cousin of the James Beard house. Um, she's opening a fried chicken and champagne restaurant in Chinatown this summer. So we're really excited to see that she's jumped on the fried chicken bandwagon as well. And she'll be at the Chicken Coop event yes. uh, in October, Sarah. Well, maybe we can talk about that just to kind of wrap things up. Sure. Uh, fried chicken and champagne is absolutely one of my favorite. Mm -hmm. Fried anything, really, in champagne. <laughs> um, it's just the the fat, it cuts through, and it's yep. just so delicious. What do you guys like to drink when you're eating fried chicken? I know Lee prefers Perrier Jouet, very chilled. <laughs> I'd like any rosé champagne, I yeah. have to say, and I'm a big champagne drinker, hence why we started with champagne. I think what couldn't be more of a cliche than kind of the simplest of foods, you know, eating something off a bone and drinking great champagne, not unlike the barbecue, the bubble queue that we started in South Beach years ago. So my take would be champagne, but that's strictly my take. I like um, a nice cold beer. Um, and my other favorite when I go visit Charles Gabriel up in Harlem is I save my semi-annual Welch's grape soda uh, splurge <laughs> for that time. Because that to me, like that with the fried chicken is just like the perfect combination. I absolutely love it. So it's either a nice cold Abita or a Welch's grape soda for me. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for coming in today to talk about Fried and True. The thank book you. comes out tomorrow, so go pick it up. Do you have some local events going on? Um, Lee? Uh, what am I doing? I mean, we're doing a lot of media the next few days. And uh, on the 27th of May, we're doing um, one of a few book parties we have here in South Florida at the Perez Art Museum Miami, which I'm on the board of. And that's going to be a great event. And we're doing something the end of next week, I think the 30th, uh, at Broken Shaker, which is a great cocktail bar and pairing some great cocktails with champagne. And 
doing another event at the Ritz-Carlton. Some so great events in my hometown, and we had a great uh, book party at Hill Country Chicken a few weeks ago on the Sunday of the James Beard Awards that Adina and I hosted for a lot of uh, uh, chefs and media friends in town. So uh, I think for now it's going to be really uh, all uh, attention on uh, you know just getting out there and doing a bunch of great press to promote Fried and True. And there will be a couple of events. I may be um, partnering with some other co-author friends to do some parties in conjunction with them to celebrate our book launches together. So, so plenty of good opportunities look for to eat some, an some... ice cream and fried chicken Ooh. potentially at some it's point. It's summertime, so yeah. barbecues and ice What's cream. What's summer like fried chicken, I always say. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, that's all for Eat Your Words today. We'll see you right back here next Monday at 1 p.m. when we'll be talking to Ellen Gustafson about her new book, We the Eaters. Thank, Thank you. Thank you both so much. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.